Greetings, troubled listener. Welcome back to the Troubled Men Podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in the safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's going on with you? Oh, you know, just uh, uh, getting gearing up for the, uh, the the holiday season here. Already starting some Christmas gigs. Played uh, St. Louis Cathedral last night. Susan Cowsill have a couple more uh, concerts coming up this weekend. Various places. So, as a Jew, how do you feel about that? Oh, you know, it's uh, it, it's, it's fun. money, right? It's a paying gig. Yeah, I like to play music, man. I'll play. Uh, you know, do you play Cowsill songs with her? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we, we play, uh, you know, a lot of her original material. We do sometimes, depending on the gig, we'll do uh, some Cowsills uh, hits. Um, last night, being at St. Louis Cathedral, it was almost all uh, Christmas music, which is kind of my least favorite thing to do. But, yeah, but it's money. It's a gig. It's, it's playing with Susan Cowsill, which is always a rarefied experience. She's so sublime as a performer. You know, it's, uh, get, I get chills just even in rehearsals uh, standing next to her. Did you get chills having to play on the altar? No, no, it was fine. I'd actually done that before. Now, as I predicted, they didn't check my Catholic card, but they did check my uh, Vax card. So. so who was the crowd? What was the crowd like? I was a, it was a great crowd, full, full house of people. You know, that's a regular series they have every Wednesday uh, in maybe the five weeks leading up to, uh, to Christmas. So, so they you, have a- you were in St. Louis yesterday doing this gig? Yep. Do they have, do they have a bar in there? They don't have a bar. Look, they don't even have indoor plumbing. The building is so old, they don't have restrooms in there. You have to go across the street to, uh, to use the restrooms in the, the residence part. It must be the only gig in New Orleans with no bar. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's very possible. That's very possible. Um, now, they do have wine for, uh, for, the, for the workers, you know, for the priests and stuff. Yeah, yeah, body, body and blood of Christ. I grew up with that shit. Yeah, yeah, snacks too. Yeah, yeah, they have the wafers, you know. But the, that's that's they weren't passing that out to the crowd. So they charge people to go into this show. Nope, totally free. Oh, so you pl- it's a free concert. Well, it's free for the you know it's put on by the same people that put on uh, French Quarter Festival and Satchmo Festival. They do a, a few others besides French Quarter, and and this is one of the concert series that they uh, they sponsor. Did you play Little Drummer Boy? We did play Little Drummer Boy. In fact, we did the uh, the David Bowie Bing Crosby uh, arrangement of Little Drummer Boy. We had uh, who was who? Uh, let's see. Susan sang the David Bowie part, and Debbie Davis came in and sang the Bing Crosby part. So it was All lovely. Right. Yeah, it was cool. <laughs> so uh, so we had Thanksgiving this week, Manny. How was your Thanksgiving? I don't even remember. You I don't? Can't. Yeah. It was it was quiet or blackout. Yeah, it was th- it was Thanksgiving. I think some people came over. I don't remember. You know, it's the usual thing. You know, it it it, it, it is what it is. Uh, I okay. I think my wife wanted to have people over. She got some people, and I was totally against it. You know, mm-hmm. because of the whole COVID thing going on. And I think I think in about a week or two from now, we're going to be shut down all over again. You so, think? I'm hoping. Well, I mean, I know you're hoping, but uh, 
uh, it's it's it seems like uh, the the uh, the vaccinations are holding. You know, we we've we've had a whole bunch of events where there've been a lot of people all close together, and I haven't heard of any any big uh, infection spikes. There's a new variant. Yeah. Right. We don't know much about the new variant. We don't know if if it's uh, extra virulent or. Well, it's not as it's not as bad, but it does. Um, if you're even if you're double vaxxed, you can get it. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you can still get it if you're double vaxxed, the regular kind. Right. It's not you know as toxic. Right, right. Well, yeah, we'll we'll have to see. You know, this is an ongoing experiment that we're all kind of participating in. You know, everybody's trying to figure out their own level of risk. You know, it's like as I've said to other people, you, you get out and drive a car, and even drive on the interstate, and I'll even go on the road and drive day after day after day at at high speeds on the interstate, and think, well, that's a lot of risk, man. If you really calculated all that, but yet I I do it over and over again, and you know, just becomes like an acceptable amount of risk. And so we'll see if... if uh, Got Eddie Cochran. Well, yes. I mean, people, uh, you know, uh, lots of people. Yeah, a lot Mark, of people die Mark on the Bowen. roads. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clifford Brown, I think. James Dean. Yeah, James yeah, yeah. Dean. Right, but, uh, you know... Bessie Smith. Sure. <laughs> we could go on and on. Yes. The drummer who lost his one arm but still plays. I don't know what his name is. Right, right. Yeah, from Death Def Leppard. Yeah. Yeah. Guy could could uh, he lost his one arm but he could still beat his girlfriend with the with the one remaining arm. Well, you don't have to bring that up, Renee. Well, I don't know. It's not he's not a friend of mine. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. he's not as cool as Malty from the Barbarians. So your Thanksgiving was good. You had a good time. Um, yes, it was kind of quiet. You know, we didn't have the, the, the full crowd that we have in the past, you know, a couple of the people that are, that are, uh, more of the big storytellers and IE, you know, people that would, uh, have more than one glass of wine were not there. So it was, it was, uh, somewhat, uh, your children? Are you talking about your children? Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my, my children are both on the wagon. So, uh, yeah, they were, they were here, but, uh, you know, uh, just Did some you other- get your father's love? I know you're always looking for your father's love. Uh, well, you know, I've, uh, we've, we've accepted, it's a, you know, everybody knows uh, what it's going to be. So I, I didn't have any expectations that weren't met and uh, neither did he. I think everybody was fine. He did was happy to be here. Did you share a turkey leg with your father? I, I don't eat, uh, I don't eat the leg, you know, I, I was sticking with the, sticking with the, uh, the, the sliced the sliced turkey and uh, I wasn't I'm not sure what he had I think he had the same thing you know it's uh we we have a, a, a fine you know ongoing understanding uh, but it was nice to see everybody nice to see him and where do you have your Thanksgiving at your house it was at my house this this year that's right so uh, you know we and, and uh, you cooked the turkey no no actually we prepared uh, the 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 site the venue and uh my mom and my sister and and some other people brought in dishes and and so they they cooked it all and brought it over here ah. so so it was pleasant enough and where did they park um well the the you know the street's closed so you can actually drive on the street now but it's it's uh you know very bumpy like i said it's uh you know it's gravel and packed dirt so it was it wasn't hard to where do you live 
Oh, well, uh, man, Jim, you wouldn't believe the state of New Orleans. It's it's like all dirt roads and lots uh, of sections. Oh, I remember that part. Like, you know, Chapatulas had this, has the same potholes from when I first went there in 78. Right. Hey, man, nothing's changed at all. But you're, you're uptown? Yes, yes, I'm in Carrollton, and uh, oh, yes, right, they've, right. they've just added to to all the, the potholes that they had before. And in fact, they completely tore my street up. They have giant, uh, you know, bulldozers and cranes, and they're, they're in the next block now, but they haven't done anything except tear mine up and then cover it in, in sand and gravel, so... It's very slow going, and uh, but we didn't have any parking issues. And the people that are making the money off of that are all like in Dallas and shit. Probably, man. They, yeah. You know, they, they, we, we discovered that there was a whole uh, scheme going on where, where they would start a job and they would get like seed money for starting the job and then they'd move over to the next job and start that job and and they were never finishing any so i think they passed some kind of ordinance the city council did to say well you got to stop doing that but i haven't seen any any difference in behavior i haven't seen any of those jobs get completed new orleans worked better when the mafia ran it Oh, absolutely, man! Absolutely, did. Yeah, this is uh, this is unacceptable, man. I don't, I don't know. It's um, it's. You could say that for the whole country. Certainly, New York City did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, we we keep trying to elect Manny Chevrolet. I'm sure he would, uh, you know, let the mob back in and let them, you know, wet their beaks. But uh, again, we we the with everything going wrong, the citizens of New Orleans they just, got Kennedy uh, elected. Yes, they did. Well, that's that's what they say anyway. But, uh, oh, uh, Curly Humphreys, the most important name in U.S. politics in the '60s, and no one knows who he is. Hmm. Yeah. No, I don't know who he is. He, he was, was he from Minnesota? No, no, he was from Chicago. He was what what had originally been the Capone mob. Later became the kind of like the outfit, but the, he he couldn't be made because he wasn't Italian. He was Welsh, but he was really like the kind of brains behind him and this guy Tony Orcato, and they were really the brains behind all that. And they went. Joe Kennedy went to them, and they not just in in uh, Chicago, but they got the primary in West Virginia with, because they controlled the unions. So that's, you know, that's how they got Kennedy elected. And they were the same guys that got Truman his job. I mean, they knew FDR was going to die in office. And all the he had had three different vice presidents who were all basically socialists and were not acceptable to be the next president. Right. So they came up with Truman. He was part of, came out of Kansas City. He was a Pendergrass machine guy. Okay. And they, they you know, I got to say, the mafia picks better presidents than the public. Yeah, <laughs> lately. <laughs> yeah, he couldn't couldn't do much worse. Well, Manny, uh, maybe we should uh, introduce our guest because uh, you know I'm, I don't have anything else to talk about, and and uh, he's he's already in in the in the mix here. Sure, yeah, let's do that. Okay, great. So we're very excited to have this this guest. I've, I've I've wanted to get him on for a long time. He's a he's a music writer, a critic, uh, a DJ. Uh, currently hosting the fabulous Hound Howl radio show on uh, thehoundnyc.com, as well as 
the fabulous Hound Howl podcast, where he plays his own giant collection of 45s and 78s, uh, rock and roll, uh, on and on. Also a bar owner, uh, owner of the Circle Bar, owner of uh, Lakeside Lounge. Uh, we're going to get into all that. Without further ado, the Hound, Mr. Jim Marshall. Welcome, Jim. Oh, nice, nice to be here. Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> caught you by surprise. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, a, I'm where I usually am this time and I am on the couch. Okay, nice, nice. Well, that's where most of the people uh, listening to this are as well. So, so Jim, uh, you you uh, you were born in New York, but somehow you were you went to high school in Florida. Is that correct? No, I was born in Patterson, New Jersey, which is about I guess I don't know forty miles west of New York. If you went across the George Washington Bridge out Route Four, it's where um, Allen Ginsberg was from there. Lou, oh, okay. Cost- Lou Costello, Walt Whitman, all kinds of all kinds. There's of- a statue of Costello in that town, isn't there? Yeah, I, I mean, I live like a block from where that is. Really? Yeah. Yeah, and it's sort of very Italian enclave. And then, um, but where was Abbott from? Bud Abbott. Yeah. I don't know where he picked that guy up, but um, he, I know he has an FBI. He had a really good FBI file because I got a copy of it for Nick Tosh's for his birthday once. Hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, that's odd. Um, in what way? But, but you, went to, uh, you went to high school in Florida, correct? Yeah, well, I moved to my family, my mother, my stepfather, who kind of adopted me. Um, we moved to Florida when I was like about eight or nine. But I, we would go to the Jersey Shore in the summertime, so I got, did get to see some shows in New York City, like in the Garden, like the Stones and stuff. But um, yeah, I lived in I lived in Florida. When, what year was this? That would have been uh, I'm bad with the years. I, I moved to New York in May of '77. It was my literally my 18th birthday. Wow! So that's a long time ago. So I've been here for, ever since. So you saw the Stones at the Garden. Yeah, in 72. Okay, 72. Okay, because their famous concert was the 69 concert, which to get your Yaya's record is recorded. Yeah, I was a little too young to be allowed out of the house for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I was 10. Right, so, right. three words describe Florida. Um. Could we cut it down to one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> cut it down to one. Shithole. <laughs> okay. It's really like my. It's kind of my idea of hell. Well, Renee and I always make fun of Florida, and because just shit happens there that should never happen, you know. But it seems to happen there for some reason. Well, it's if you think of like the United States as sort of a a toilet, and Maine is the handle, and when you flush it, the shit goes to Florida. Now, where in Florida were you? Broward County. Um, first oh, in a place called Davie, where we lived, like, right up against the um, Seminole Reservation. And then uh, Fort Lauderdale proper for a couple, like a year. And then I moved out of my family's house, and I lived in Dania Beach, which is kind of right by the airport between Hollywood and Fort Lauderdale, you know. Yeah, Broward isn't isn't that the police department that arrested Jim Morrison for indecent? No, that was Dade County. That was okay. Miami. Okay, I got that wrong. All right. Yeah, he was like looking at like twenty years in fucking Florida penitentiary. 
because yeah, some or, frat boys were pissed that he didn't sing light my fire <laughs> but uh, uh you couldn't wait to get out of there and and get to new york city yeah i couldn't wait to get that get out of there i hated that place so you you land in new york city 1977 ground zero well, what what was it like when you got there well the first place i you know i had um I had an invitation from my friend Miriam Lena, and she had gotten there like a year before me, and she was playing drums in the cramps, and she said, you could always crash on my floor, so I did. And she was living in this loft. It was a basement and a sub-basement down on Warren Street, which is now a Tribeca, but then it was just completely empty. And Lydia Lunch and this guy Bradley Field lived there, and mm. it was called the Home for Teenage Dirt, and just lots of kids would just sort of show up a lot mostly from cleveland and crash there and the there was a rehearsal space next door and uh this guy donnie christensen the only other person who lived on the block who played drums in the contortions so richard hell and the voidoids and lester bangs's band and the contortions rehearsed in that building and where i lived the cramps rehearsed and teenage jesus and the jerks so that wow. was like that was like my first summer. Crazy man. Now, yeah. are you a musician also? No, I kind of gave that up pretty fast when I was, you know, trying to be in bands in high school. First off, I, you know, it was hard to get along with people and make them understand what I liked. But then when I, I guess it was, I just at some point decided that I could never play anything as good as, you know, Elmore James or, you know, the stuff that I really liked that it was never going to be anything remotely like that. And no, I was, I wasn't any good at it. Okay. But you were already a huge, huge music fan and, and yeah. record collector at that point. Yeah. I guess I'd been collecting records since I was like five or six. So yeah. But, you know, I like the entry point being like the Stones and then you're finding all these old blues records and it just spreads out from there into this, you know, there's a lot of shit out there. So what, what, what uh, record stores are you going to and what radio stations are you listening to? <laughs> um, I have, there are no record stores to go to like in New York. Um, no, you meant at, back in the day, I think. Oh, yeah. back then. Well, yeah. mostly, I mean, I worked in a, rec in a record store called Peaches. There was a place called Sid Arthur Oldies in uh, Fort Lauderdale that was, he had incredible shit. But mostly we would go to like record distributors and flea markets and, you know, we, thrift stores and stuff. And that's really, the stuff was still out there in the wild for, for nothing. You know, I mean, I bought the first Midnighters album for a quarter. I still have that copy. I still listen to that copy. Wow. You know, so all this shit was out there for the taking, and it was cheap. Nobody wanted it. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you know, in, in those bargain bins, you know, like there was just the Stooges and the MC5 and the Flaming Groovies and all that stuff. So it was the proto-punk thing. Right. So, so when you got to New York and you were, you know, running into the cramps and, and that, that whole rich scene there, what must have kind of blown your mind, huh? Well, it was fun. You know, it, it was definitely, you knew that you were in, it was a special moment and it was probably going to 
come and go fast, <laughs> which it kind, of, it kind of did. I mean, the best part of it did, but um, it was just fun. It was just, you know, just to get away from home. And there was no adult supervision. The city was just wide open. You know, you could just do whatever the fuck you want. And it was dirt cheap to live here. You could live like a millionaire on nothing. Yeah. And and running into all these people who you know wound up being the you know the uh, the cornerstones of punk rock. They were they were your friends and and your peers. Yeah, that was the I mean, the first night I moved here, I met like half the people I would know for the rest of my life. Yeah, you know, who was that? Like Richard Hell. I know you're you're good friends with Richard. I met I met Hell, Robert Quine, and Lester Banks in the first fifteen minutes I was in the city. Wow, really? Yeah, that I met. <laughs> And then Miriam came home from work, so we went to CB's to her gig, and I met all the cramps. And the, it was the, the double bill were the cramps and the Ramones, so I met all the Ramones and the cramps. And then Bradley took me out drinking later with Lester Bangs, and we met all the dead boys that night. And Lydia Lunch, of course, who I was living in her, you know, she was one of the, I guess, tenants of that loft. Mm -hmm. And um, Alex, I met that second night in New York because he was playing on a double bill with Lester Bangs band. Oh, okay, Alex Chilton. Yeah, right. And Stephanie Chernikowski, I met her the first night. No kidding. Yeah. Nice man, boy. You're like I said, ground zero. But it was a small scene, you know. It was literally like two hundred people. Chuck Prophet once said, uh, you know, the rock and roll college is only about 2,000 people, uh, you know, in the, in the whole country. And if you're in it for a while, you eventually wind up knowing most of them. And you're a person who I think knows all of them, Jim, because, uh, you know, I, I've been in it for a long time and you know way more people than I do. Well, ha having the radio show, people do, you know, Everybody likes to be on the radio, and it does sell records, even on the FMU lit level, you know. So that was a good way to meet, like, a lot of my heroes, like Ike Turner and Andre Williams and Hazel Atkins, and that was great. Yeah, so let's, let's uh, jump ahead and talk about that. So, so you start this uh, radio show at uh, WFMU. Um, is that, was that the first time you did something like that? It was like 85? Yeah, that was 85. And I, they approached me. It was weird because um, they had wanted this guy, Ned Sublet, who's an, like, an experimental musician. He actually wrote sure. a book on New Orleans. They had asked him to do a show, and he said he didn't have time to do it, but he off recommended me. Hmm. So, so they wanted me to do a country show. And I said, well, I don't know about being like a country DJ, but I could do something. But it's, you know, so I went out there and made a tape. It just kind of the format that I always stuck with was like black rockers and the rock and rockabilly and instrumentals and that these records that the way I describe it is like these guys who saw Elvis or Little Richard, and they said, I could do that. And they gave it their all for one record, but they really couldn't do that. They weren't that talented. They weren't that good looking. You know, some of these guys had nothing going for them. Right. But then again, some of them were geniuses and were just unheralded, but they were so out in left field, they were not going to 
you know, be the new Little Richard. But that's like my favorite kind of record. And so that's what I, you know, was going to, I feel like I kind of invented this format that now there's just a million imitators all like all over the, every college, college radio station and podcast and both, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's like records where it sounds like they're coming unhinged to a certain degree. I, I notice that's a yeah, yeah. And you have this this uh, your 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 self description is says uh, uh, this is rockers, blues whalers, greaseball classics, hedgehog hop, moronic obscurities, instrumental madness, X-rated parrot training. <laughs> yeah, I actually only have one X-rated parrot training record, but it's a really good one. <laughs> it was made, actually made by Cub Coda of Brownsville Station under the name of the Howlin' Banana. Wow. Yeah, and they put it out on the one-shot label. They only pressed 100 copies, and he distributed it by when Brownsville Station was on tour. He would leave copies in Salvation Army bins. Oh, interesting. Man, it's very innovative uh, uh, move there. So the first time I was aware of you, uh, I was I was up in in New York with somebody, and and uh, I think uh, your your a, a mutual friend had uh, had was putting us up, and uh, Alice, yes, Alice Orenson, and hmm. she she had to get back to her apartment to uh, to record this radio show, and it was very very important to her. It's Saturday, and. Uh, so, you know, she had she got back and she's playing the radio show and it's you and you're playing all this great music, but then you're fucking hilarious in between and and not just like in a joking way, but you you obviously have a an encyclopedic knowledge of of all this music and you're very opinionated and you're not afraid to uh to tear down some some uh, you know giants, <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't believe that it was just somebody on the radio saying all that stuff. Well, you know, it's not like I was getting paid to shut up. <laughs> right, right. It was a, a labor of love, much like this uh, Troubled Men podcast. But- <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's like you couldn't sell out if you want because no one's actually even buying. So you might as well just say what you feel like. Right, but but you had a you wound up having a huge listenership uh, and and a big following, huh? Yeah, we did. It was, but it was you know it was before the internet, which was kind of cool. And what I really liked about it was you had to sort of stumble on it yourself. You know, it was kind of like the beginning of Saturday Night Live, where it wasn't like in the press or anything. It was just like something you heard about, and then you stumble upon it. And that's kind of what I still do. It's like I don't. Other than postings, you know, like that, there's an on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not like recruiting listeners. It's like it's there for the weirdo that discovers it and wants to hear it, and you know. Now, now, when did this show start? What what year? Eighty eighty five. Eighty five. And that was on F. So it was on FMU till ninety nine. Then I took a break. Because I remember when I was I was living in New York in eighty six. And everywhere I went, it was just, it was rap, 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 go-go music, all that stuff was just dominating. Yeah, well, that was everywhere. commercial radio. This was left of the dial, you know, non-profit radio. So it wasn't what, what, what was coming out of the boom boxes. 
Well, no, it wasn't even like I was listening to the radio. I was just every street corner I was at. It was just you know kids on cardboard, you know break dancing and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, there was yeah. still a lot of a, a lot of uh, salsa at that point. That kind of disappeared, unfortunately. Yeah, and it was it was at the peak of New York, like being broke, and and everywhere I went, it just stunk of urine everywhere I went. Oh, it still stinks of urine. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than ever. Oh really? Okay. Oh yeah. Just got much more expensive. Well, no, I remember coming back in the mid '90s, and and Giuliani had Disneyfied everything, and everything seemed wow. This is so weird. Where's the urine? Where Where's this? Where's well, that? Well, it's kind of gone back to shit, but like it's still really expensive. So like the creative element can't come back. So it's shit that doesn't stink, right? Well, they did some really genius moves. Like they got rid of cash bail. So, like, they can't hold anybody for anything except murder. Mm. Oh, okay. And and during a plague, they just basically emptied the prisons onto the streets of New York, and then the cops went on strike because they hate the mayor. Right, right. (laughs) And then they basically, like, legalized everything. Like, they just opened up shooting, like, legal shooting galleries this week. Really? Oh my I, God. Yeah, and, and and they just handed down the decision today. This is literally in the paper today. That it's because this was a, this is a, with with the politicians here are thinking about. This is how they're going to get elected. Is it okay to smoke crack in the legal shooting gallery or not? Oh, and they, yeah. decided, they decided. Yeah, it's okay to smoke crack in the shooting gallery. Oh, they did. Okay, wow, yeah. man. That's, so uh, this is like so. This is like the progressive thinkers. You know, trying to be the anti-Trumps, and uh-huh. both sides are so fucking far but off the mark in terms is, of is crack thinking. still around. I mean, is it still? I, I, yeah, actually, it is. It's not so much where I live, but I mean, where I, I live. Mean, is, I thought Flocka killed crack. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's <laughs> no. So basically, it's it's free base. It's free base. Oh well, yeah, sure. Same. But you know, it's the prepackaged in the little containers. Yeah, same same as it ever was, man. You're you're well familiar with crack, I know. But you know, pot's legal here, so the streets just reek of pot twenty four seven. Or maybe because I live across the street from a high school. But yeah, <laughs> nice. So so back there in the uh, you know when you're there in the the late seventies eighties, uh, were you running into like William Burroughs anywhere? Oh, yeah. I I lived right around the corner from Allen Ginsberg, so I knew him. And Burroughs, I, ha- I had gone over to the bunker with my friend Bradley a couple of times, but then he moved to Lawrence, Kansas, like around right. 79. So it was only a couple of times, but I did meet him in Lawrence again. Um, but, yeah, all those people were just were like my neighbors. I mean, it was a weird – it was a – Funny time period because it was never happened in this day and age. But like every cool person in the world was in New York for that five or six year period, uh-huh. from like you know seventy six, seventy seven into eighty five, eighty six. So you were friends with the New York Dolls, also. Yeah, well, I had met them in Florida. Oddly enough. Oh wow! That's where they broke up. 
<laughs> really, you were hip to them to where you went and saw them there. I mean, you already oh, knew yeah. about them. I saw them on their first. I saw them opening for Moth the Hoople, and then mm-hmm. they came down and played a string of clubs and up and down Florida. But they had like a seven night stint at a place in Fort Lauderdale called the Flying Machine. So I was hanging around with them. They had them in the red, the red patent leather. No, no, that they, they actually. On their way down, they played the last Red Patent Leather show in South Carolina, but they had little bits and pieces of the Red Patent Leather, like Johnny still had the Red pa- the red Shoes and still had, I think, the, a red, um, the T-shirt with the star on it. So there mm-hmm. were like little bits of it, but they had basically gone back to just playing the regular repertoire, and it was just strictly like they were hanging try to keep the band together kind of thing mm-hmm. generate some income or something, but they were a mess. Yeah. You know, did you, did you maintain a uh, relationship with, with Johnny over the years after that? None. Well, you know, to say hi, the one I knew the best was Jerry, who was, um, <laughs> he was a real piece of work. He was like really, he was like George Raft, you know? Yeah. Um, but Johnny, you know, he, he was really surrounded by like the worst bottom feeding rock scumbag people. So yeah, you didn't really want to get too close to that scene. And the dope thing was so prevalent. It was, you know, it was just like, if you weren't there for that reason, there was no reason to be there. Right. So let me ask you something. Okay. You're there when this scene is, you know, happening. Now, how aware of is the scene that you're in aware of what's going on in London? Oh well, everybody knew because the Sex Pistols were he- like huge, and and then they were living in New York, Sid Vicious and Johnny Rotten, and people were going back and forth. You know, the Heartbreakers went over there and they came back, so everybody knew. But you know, there was always this Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. <laughs> No, the uh, the other heartbreakers. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, yeah, everybody knew, and people would go back and forth all the time, and the British bands were touring, and they were coming through New York. So yeah, every, everybody knew everybody. I, I, I read somewhere that that you were saying, uh, you know, having uh, you know been hip to the Stooges and and the and the Dolls and everything that that the Sex Pistols seemed like the Monkeys to you. Well, in a way, I mean, I like the first couple of singles, but yeah, it, it, I mean, they were put together by a fashion designer to sell pants, you know? <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, they had their moments. In their moment, it was a great thing and it wasn't meant to last. And you would, I mean, I hated when they got back together and they were all like 250 pounds. Right, right. You know, right. that was just not pretty. Manny, this seems like a good time to uh, take a little break, huh? Yeah, we should take our little break. And uh, uh, Jim, uh, the Troubled Nation knows what we do. We, we take a break. We go get a libation or, you know, use the toilet. Or, you know, in my case, I'll just roll over. And, okay. Uh, and uh, so Troubled Nation, Jim, we'll be right back. Just 
the barber shop, gonna have her do me up. Gonna get clean for my little buttercup. Dusty, 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 dusty. Sisters, brothers, uncles, please a child. Dusty, 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 dusty. You just won't treat me right. Dusty, 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 dusty. You just won't treat me right. You like the ball in the morning. Stay out late Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Back with Mr. Jim Marshall. I am Renee Coleman. And uh, Jim, you know, uh, we are between sponsors right now, or uh, between outside sponsors. We're back to our original sponsor, which is Loose Change. Yeah. Manny, talk a little bit about Loose Change. Well, Loose Change is everywhere if you look for it, you know. It, okay. It could be, it could be in the, uh, under your mattress, couch cushions, in pants that you haven't worn in a while. Right, the dryer. It's winter clothes or summer clothes that you put away for the winter or vice versa. It's everywhere. And the funnest thing about Loose Change for me mm-hmm. is going to like busy intersections where there's lots of homeless people. And throwing loose change in the middle of the street and just watch them scramble for it. I know you, yeah. you, you mention that almost every week. Yeah, I love that. But we need the, the Troubled Men podcast needs help. We need a lot of help. Well, uh, well, we, need, we, are, we lost our sponsor. And I talked to our, our, our guy uh, just uh, uh, yesterday. I talked to him. And he wants nothing to do with us anymore. Okay, well that so, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. The feeling is mutual, frankly. So, uh, so nation, uh, you know, we are. It is a listener-supported operation. Uh, you know, locate that loose change that you may have, and we have the uh, the PayPal link right there in the show notes. Um, and we have the the Patreon page. You can support us week in and week out. That's that that link is also in the show notes. And uh, still have the uh, Troubled Men podcast T-shirts, which uh, you know some have been a few purchases. It's the gift giving season. It's a perfect gift for the uh, the, the the troubled man or woman in your uh, in your life. So uh, avail yourselves of all that, and and as always, you know, uh, uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, review us, give us a five star review that really helps, and uh, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and tell your friends about the Troubled Men podcast. Uh, you know, or tell your enemies too. You know. Anyway, back to uh, our guest, Mister Jim the Hound Marshall. Now, right. Jim. Uh, you know, you're up there in New York and, uh, you know, and, you're, and, and my sponsor is by the way, King Kong hair straightener. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. 
So you know, a lot of the guys, some of you guys with the, you know, got that nappy shit going, just straighten you right out. Okay. You know, I had a sponsor until I got to the ninth step, and I was like, "Fuck you." Yeah, I was, I was waiting for that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But so, Jim, how do you get the name the Hound? Good question. You know, yeah, that is a good question. I, I kind of don't remember. It was this <laughs> guy. I was working, not really working, but doing something in an after-hours joint on Rivington Street, and the guy who was the nominal owner of it who was also the super i got me in my apartment in the building that he was a super of and he was this older guy like 10 years older than us so of course he seemed cool and he had been a, he, a, in a band that was on pebbles volume nine like mm-hmm. really early 60s punk the banshees out of chicago on dunwich records anyway he would just give everybody a nickname like and and then uh-huh. you, you couldn't, you kind of can't get rid of it. Like, cause if you try, it gets worse. So he, he dubbed to be the hound and that was that. And then when I started doing the radio, I thought, well, if Alan Freed was the moon dog, you know, and I should be the hound. So that's, um, nice, nice. Yeah. The, so there, thus the hound. He, he also named Eric Amble Roscoe. Oh, Okay. All right, all right. So it's uh, yes, he is good with the with dispensing the nicknames. That one stuck too. Yeah. Well, so so you're up there in New York, and uh, somehow you 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 start the uh, Lakeside Lounge. Right. Now, when does Kelly Keller come into the picture? Because I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Kelly Keller is sort of the the patron saint of the Troubled Men podcast. She's she uh-huh. comes up over and over again. Close friend of of me and Manny's and yours as well. Well, I had known her long before that. Okay, uh, how I, did you meet Kelly? That's a good question. Um, I think. Oh, I think I first met her in New York through Naomi Regelson. Oh, yeah, I know Naomi, yes. And then, like, literally, like, a week later, I, I, I met her again in New Orleans. And then she moved in with Heather, and they were living in an old funeral home on Magazine. So, oh, okay. So I don't remember what year that was, but it was long before the, we started the lakeside. So I knew I had known her. And then she moved up to Boston, right. kind of chasing the boyfriend that she chased off by being mean to uh-huh and um i don't think she was having a great time in boston who would yeah right i know <laughs> i mean there's some cool people there there was some great people there but um so she moved to new york for a while and she was working at a club called coney island high which was a lot of fun but she hated living in new york it just she just wasn't cut out for like the cutthroat like you know you have to have a to get to get by in New York you really do have to like have, have some attitude and you have to kind of like it you know you uh-huh. have to kind of like fucking people <laughs> yeah and, and she's just a girl from Eunice yeah so she probably she, couldn't yeah she really wanted to move back to New Orleans. And it was probably a good idea because for her health reasons. And um, that's when we, we bought the circle bar from the, uh, the Brysons. 
Right. So, so you're one of the the uh, original founding partners of Circle Bar. Yeah. So it was just because Kelly, we couldn't like there was no job for Kelly in New Orleans. It was just like you know, right? <laughs> Literally, like not no place for her to work. So we thought, how could you go wrong with a bar in New Orleans? And the rents weren't not expensive then, and you know. Now, was Dave Clemens a part of that? Uh, yes. Approach? See, we brought in Dave. Originally, because he had snaking jigs, I would assume he had a credit line to yeah. get, like liquor and stuff. Turns out yeah. he didn't. But he's a contractor, <laughs> and he could build shit. So he could build – so he actually built the place, you know, like did all the renovation himself. And he's just a good guy to have as a partner because he's trustworthy and – He's a great guy, and yes, if you, you know, like if you. Pick, he's also my campaign manager. Oh yes, well, you, so you know, it's like he's somebody you want to be around anyway. So, right, it seemed natural, and he's a musician. He had a lot of connections to music. I mean, he right. brought in Hank Williams the third for our opening night. Nice, nice, and the the Circle Bar immediately became our clubhouse. Uh, you know, we played there with a, a million different bands it it, it, it uh you know is much beloved the i don't know the the last five or six years of the circle bar's life the iguanas had a steady wednesday night gig there it was uh it was a a great location um man the place had a great run you know sadly uh it's, it, it it ended how you have what how do you feel about that the circle bar you know well you know everything ends um, right. I'm surprised it lasted as long as it did because <laughs> I mean, even when Kelly was alive, like the last time I did like the, the numbers and I was trying to explain to her, like why you're not making any money. It turned out like s seven out of 10 drinks went out for free. Yeah. That sounds about right. And the it's like, okay, if you get, if we can get the liquor costs below 25%, you will make money. But she just couldn't do it, and Dave is even worse at it. You know? Yeah, I uh, so yeah. You can't really force people to be greedy. The only reason why Snake and Jake is still open because Dave has bought all the surrounding properties around Snake and Jake, so no one complains about the noise. Yeah, or the late night shenanigans. Yeah, well, he got that stuff when it was cheap. During the pandemic, he has. Uh, made the uh, the back. He's built this huge, beautiful patio backyard area for pe for the smokers and uh, the people who like to breathe fresh air to hang out in. It's it's amazing what he's done with it during oh, the man. pandemic. Oh yeah, Dave's been busy banning so. smoking in New Orleans. That was really hard on the bar business. Yeah, I don't know. People got over it. You know, there's the bars that people are still drinking there, even though they can't smoke. Yeah, but they, they go outside. Well, in New Orleans, you can take your drink outside. In New York, it kind of fucked up the bar business because you can't take your drink outside. Right, yeah. Now, I heard during pandemic, they were actually uh, letting people have drinks out on the street. Was that is that gone now? Oh, now people shoot up on the street. It's insane. You can, <laughs> oh, there's, okay. no law, there's no law here at all. It's, like, it's a fucking free for It's like one step from road war. Well, who, who's the new mayor now of New, of New York? Well, he doesn't come in until January something. Oh. Eric Adams, he's an ex-cop. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. Hmm. And and was that, uh, was he the favorite or is this a, like an underdog story? He was the only candidate. He was the, he won the Democratic primary. I mean, the Republicans ran this guy, Curtis Sliwa, who's sort of like this cartoon version of Donald oh, Trump. Oh, right. It's like vigilante patrol called the Guardian Angels. Sure. Yeah. That don't really exist except when a news camera shows up. Uh-huh. Uh, okay. They have the Red Berets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did you actually live in New Orleans for part of that time? When, when, well, uh, I had an apartment. For, I lived with Kelly for quite a while. We had a couple of different apartments. But then living with Kelly got a little much. So I got an apartment up on um, on Laurel, just above Napoleon. That had, okay. had Heather West's apartment. Well, you know, I lived above the Circle Bar on the, on the top floor for about four years. Well, me and Kelly lived above the circle bar on the second floor for like two months, and that was all we could take. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, that building was just too loud and crazy. Well, yeah, the streetcar was loud, the bands downstairs were loud, and and the pigeons under my sink were very loud, too. But uh, the rent was cheap. Did Holsapel live in the building when you did? Who? Peter Holsapel. Yeah. Well, no, I took over Peter's place, actually. Oh, okay. So you're the one who moved in after Peter. Okay. I don't think Yeah, we I moved in after Peter because Peter then, uh, he moved to wherever he lives now. North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. He was there and uh, he left me, he, he took, you know, he left and he left me one piece of furniture, which was this really great uh, folding table, which was perfect for that size apartment. And a bottle of gin, which I don't drink gin, so I, I gave it to someone on Lee Circle, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, but, gin's uh, a real alcoholic's drink, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's awful. It's that's awful. what I like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. I was just about to say, that's what Renee drinks. Yeah. That's what I'm drinking right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an awful booze. I haven't had gin since Halloween 1981. I never drink gin, but I've got like two bottles of like this sort of high-end small batch like micro brew gin in my bar upstairs that I, I stare at them and think like someday yeah <laughs> you're working your way down to it huh i never go i know i never drink anything after i just generally drink wine oh okay but uh, um if, if there's anything up there i drink i actually have this really good absinthe the hound likes his wine Nice. That's a good. Nice. Uh, nice. That's a good title for the show, Renee. Oh, the Hound yeah, likes his wine. I, I had the absolute coolest wine experience in the history of rock and roll, and James Williamson from the Stooges took us on a tour of wine country in a Russian River Valley. Oh, cool! Which is it was amazing, and it's also you know it's the guy who wrote Raw Power. You know, <laughs> sure, yeah, James Williamson, yeah, yeah, we we we're, we're fans for sure. Well, the Russian River is a beautiful part of California. I grew up in Los Angeles. That's where I'm from. What um, neighborhood? Uh, Venice. Mm. Venice, Mar Vista, Palms. I'm West Side. I'm a West Side, West side kid. Yeah. You know, but uh, as soon as I turned like 18, and my dad said, "Either you pay me rent or pay someone else rent," uh, you know, what are you gonna do? And I was 18. I paid him rent for two months, and then moved moved to Hollywood. Oh, yeah. We had an apartment in West Hollywood for a while on Havenhurst, just down the street from the Chateau. 
Sure, yeah. So you're below sunset, right? right yeah, sunset. yeah, just between between sunset and um, what's the next street over? <laughs> Fuck. Uh, Santa Monica. No, no, in between Santa Monica and... Uh, oh, a Fountain? Fountain, yeah. Yes, yes. Well, I used to hang out a lot with a bunch of people uh, on Sierra, Sierra Court, between uh, Hollywood and Sunset. But I had an apartment on Melrose and Doheny for years. Well, and it was like... That's it the was nice a, part I was, of Melrose. Yeah, it, I was this punk rock kid who had a punk rock roommate. Our, he was a mod ska guy. And <laughs> we were in the middle of the gayest community of L.A. So what era was of L.A. is that? Uh, that's... Well, uh, at that time on Melrose, I was it was like the mid '80s where you know punk rock was gone. You know the great punk bands like X and all those guys, they were like, you know, they were still around. They were you know selling out shows and stuff like that, but they weren't what the kids were buying at that time. It was it was it was now, you know, you had the Fishbone, you had the Chili Peppers, you had. Jane's Addiction. You had this whole area oh, yeah, of Hollywood yeah. that was just dominating. <laughs> it all went, yeah, it all went south. Yeah, it goes south. It goes north. I just heard Flea just bought a fourteen million dollar compound in Beverly Hills. So, so much for the punk rock, you know. Okay. Yeah, that was. I could never understand that shit. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Hound. Um, so you're a DJ, you accumulate records, records your whole life, right? You're mm -hmm. just buying records, you're trading records, you're, I mean, and you have a network around the country. Around the world, all the best records are in Europe. Okay, so, I mean, and you have contacts, right? Yeah. And you're looking for a certain record, a certain 45, a certain EP, and all of a sudden someone says, Boom, I got it, man. And so they 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 phone you or they text you or they email you and and that's how you keep your record collection going, correct? Well, I wish it was as easy as that. It's just these a lot of the, the demand is so high and the supply is so low that right. there's a lot of competition for these records. You know, like yeah. it's a lot like and sometimes that does happen, especially if people know you're spending money, you get offered things. But generally, it's kind of competitive to find this shit. And everyone said, what's happening now is some people are just getting older and cashing out because the prices are so high and they're, you know, they're too old to get up and turn the record over. Yeah, <laughs> especially a lot of jerk. Like the first people to really start collecting, like the rockabilly stuff, were Germans, Dutch, English, and that generation are dying off, and their families are selling their records. So, but their records that haven't nobody's even ever seen. You know, like a f harmonica Frank on Sun on forty five. There's like two known copies, and they were both with this guy in wales who passed away a couple of years ago it's like that so you, it's not like you automatically get offered something it's like you're competing with a bunch of other knuckleheads but do you do you think you know because i heard like you know 
eight years ago, vinyl's making a comeback, but vinyl's always been there. People are always trying to find vinyl, right? Yeah, I'm into shellac, too. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think shellac is better than vinyl, personally. Because... You know, I I had I mean I I'm sure what how many how much you probably have thousands and thousands of records vinyl and 45s and stuff. Uh, yeah, I definitely couldn't count them, but yeah, you can. Well, I remember I you know I as a young guy I you know in the early 90s I accumulated maybe I had about 800 800 vinyl, you know, in my apartment that I got just by trading and buying and hand-me-downs for my mom and dad and siblings and stuff and um and i thought that was a huge collection i really did you know eight, about 800 which i think it is for a lot of people and i had them all on milk crates and stuff like that and uh i was living in this basement apartment in la and there was this freak storm this freak storm and my apartment flooded and I lost pretty much half my record collection. Oh, that's tragic. Yeah, it, it, it was. And, you know, it's like the early 90s and stuff like that. So I have basically, you know, I gave it up. I gave up, you know, for pretty much all the 90s and the early part of the 2000s trying to like. I admire that. I, I always admire when people give up. I think, yeah. I think, I think more people should give up. That, that should be the philosophy of the 21st century. Everybody who tries is a fucking asshole, and they fuck things up, like all these Trump people and Nazis. Well, I come, come from back. a long line of quitters in my yeah, family. Yeah, I, I so, think yeah. that we should encourage the younger generation to just not even bother. <laughs> <laughs> I keep telling my daughter that, but she still wants to go to college for some reason. Oh, well, that's yeah. a, that, keep, hey, that keeps her out of the job market. She might learn something. You know, it might yeah. open a door for her. She stay in school. What does she do? Get some shitty job, working for some douchebag. Yeah, she stay in yeah. school forever. <laughs> stay in school until they pay you to teach. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, well, uh, Jim. There's a few names that keep coming up on the podcast, and and uh, people are, are, are the troubled nation is interested in, and one of them is uh, is Jim Dickinson. Oh. We had his son on the podcast, uh, Luther. Uh, we've had a bunch of people that, that worked with him. We had Both Jim and Luther played their first New York shows at the lakeside. No kidding. Yeah. So you were, you were around Jim, and I, I think you've, you've done a bunch of writing on, on Jim. Yeah, correct? I've met him a bunch of times. He was so – he was sort of like the oracle of Delphi of rock and roll, you know? Uh -huh. Not only had he been there almost since, like he, you know, he saw Howlin' Wolf playing on the radio when he was a little kid, and played with the Stones, you know, like every right. like the whole gamut, you know, played with the Cramps. Like he understood the great part of rock and roll, and he said the most incredible shit. Like my favorite one ever is he said, "The best performances don't get recorded." The best recordings don't get released. The best releases don't sell. And, and that was his whole philosophy of the record industry. And I can totally un understand that. Right, right. Yes, we had uh, Robert Gordon on talking. I think he, he quoted that exact quote. Oh, yeah, he's a smart guy. His books are great. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Robert's terrific, and he was he was describing Jim as a uh, as a quote machine, and he he had he had a whole bunch of them, you know. Well, Luther had a great quote on 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 the podcast. He was saying, you know, as a producer, uh, he said his dad would say, as a producer, your job is to to push the artist, you know, to, right right to the edge, and then push them off. And he goes, sometimes they fall, but sometimes they fly. I'm like, okay, nice. I like that. Yeah, but <laughs> you think about um, the ones who just, well, never mind. Yeah, the <laughs> ones that fall flat on the It's like everybody, we, like we think about people that we have in common, and they're all dead. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that you and I have in common, yeah. and Jim. No, yeah. me and you. Right, right, I know, I know. And Jim, Jim, oh, Jim being one of them. Yes, yes, it's true. They were like the two like real great philosophers of, of rock and roll were Jim Dickinson and Lou Whitney from the, from the, um, Morales and the skeletons out of Springfield, Missouri. Oh yeah. Yeah. I played with those guys a bunch. Lou was the bass player. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great guy. And, yeah. and he was a record producer and he also had like those incredible quotes, you know, floating out of him like cartoon bubbles over his head at all times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I miss those guys, man. Well, uh, uh, so so Danny Feel is a giant in, in rock and roll. Is that is that somebody that you've been around much? Um, well, not today, but yeah, like well, not like today. Pretty, pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah, we see Danny quite a bit. Nice, and nice, yeah, man. he's doing well. And he um, he wants to go to London and now with with this new COVID. Um, mutant strain or wondering if he's going to go or not. tell him nice knowing you i know mm. well you know he's 82 you got to worry about people's health at that age and he doesn't really worry about his own health that much yeah i guess he figures he's made it this far you know it's uh it's, it's not like he was ever really careful yeah well i think he is careful i mean you know he, he was never he was smart enough to stay away from like you know hard narcotics. <laughs> you know, right, that's how you live to be eighty-two. Okay, all right, so that's good advice for the troubled nation out there. Well, uh, well, Jim, I, I was asking you the other day. You know, the the thing the musically that's in the in the popular zeitgeist right now is this Beatles documentary that just came out. And uh, I watched the first episode on Monday, and I asked you, you said... Uh, I, I, I watched the whole thing, actually, by now, since we last talked. Okay, so, so what are your thoughts on the, on the, the, the documentary? All right, my first thought is, A, I was sick of the Beatles by the time Let It Be came out. You know, like, okay. literally. Like, I was like, I... All those like ballads, like Let It Be and Long and Winding Road. And that's at the same time that top 40 radio becomes top 10 radio. So you're hearing that song three times an hour. Mm -hmm. So it's not, I'm not a huge fan of the music that they're making. It's fun to watch them. But when you realize that there's 180 hours of footage and Paul is looking over this guy's shoulder. It's like the Paul McCartney show. He's like my least favorite thing about the Beatles. And you don't really see like John's wit very much. And you really don't see his mean streak, which would be nice to see. 
you kind of see a little bit of Paul's mean streak, but not really. I love Yoko because she's so passively aggressive, hateful. <laughs> just her presence is just, she's such a malevolent. I mean, like she's there to break up the Beatles and like, please do. Like they sound like shit. Like, you know, like they ran out of ideas two years ago. Well, I, I, I saw it. I saw most of it. And, and what I got from it is like, I mean, if you're a musician, you guy who's been in the band and all that, then you might appreciate hearing 30 takes of don't let, don't bring me down, you know, but as just a guy who's just wa- trying to watch this documentary and I, you know, I thought the Beatles were great, you know, like everyone thinks they're great, but I, I, I was bored with it. Totally bored with this. Well, they were, pre- yeah, I can understand that because, you know, there's nothing more, boring than a recording studio yeah but i think they're presenting to a generation that doesn't understand that there was a time when people sat in a room and made music and that was the record like it wasn't a bunch of machines and like good making things sound not like instruments but at the same time the first part is that footage in a sound stage where let it be a lot of let it be stuff was shot and then they move it to Abbey Road Records, the studios, where they're more intimate. And that's where you see how, you know, Yoko's there. Like It's not Abbey Road. It's the basement of Apple Records. Uh, if they okay, were in okay. Abbey Road, it would have been fine because that's where they were comfortable and that's where they sounded the best. The best part I saw so far was when George said, fuck you, and l- walked away. Well, that's because yeah. there was a lot of reasons for that. and They don't really get into it, but... One of them is they, they're like not wanting to do his songs and Paul is bullying him as always, you, you know, and they're trying, he doesn't want to play a live show at all. And they want him to go to Libya to play in a Roman amphitheater. Oh, I know. Like, that's ridiculous. The, the guy keeps saying uh, uh, torches and 2000 Arabs. He's yeah, going to say that 10 exactly. times. Well, that's Michael Lindsay Hogg, who's actually like a great director, you know, but and great photographer. But, it's a sip. It's a bad idea. That's not what George wanted to do. And they had always treated him as the little brother because you know they started when they were little kids. I mean, he was the youngest, and they weren't doing his songs. He had built this incredible backlog of songs. You know, people don't realize that Abbey Road was recorded after Let It Be because Let It Be was so shitty. They said like, we can't go out on this. This is uh-huh. awful. So they got back and they did Abbey Road and the best songs on Abbey Road are Georgia songs. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. Yes, well, I'm I'm endlessly fascinated by people uh, the band dynamics. So I was I was engrossed in the the first episode and there's this one section where where George is trying to explain to uh, to Paul is talking about his his interest and involvement. He's saying, "You know, I've always held back and you know, it was really only the last record that I uh, that I, you know, put my ideas forth and 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 really, uh, you know, got to do something like that. And Paul goes, "Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, what about it?" <laughs> and what the, the other thing that they, people don't really talk about, because you know these guys are from Liverpool, they're really poor backgrounds, mm-hmm. and they're very, they're being of highly underpaid for what they do, because they signed some fucked up deals. And the money's in the songwriting. 
and George wants more money. He wants his songs done, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, Lennon and McCartney are making like a hundred times more money than he is. Right, right. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of uh, context that you don't get from it. All the that's how it, Gene Clark got thrown out of the Birds. Yeah, when he had, he got a better car than them. <laughs> that'll do it, man. That'll that'll definitely uh, you know create some some ill will. I just got that Gene Clark record. My wife and I bought it. The the re release of uh, oh, what's it called? It's a beautiful record. The first one with the Godson Brothers. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that's the best one. I, yeah, it's really good. We got it at Euclid Records here in New Orleans. Oh, yeah. It's not Lefty's place? Yeah, well, it's not Lefty. Lefty just managed He doesn't own it. But, yes, oh. that's his who, who store, store heap. Who owns it? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. I don't know who owns it. But Lefty runs it like a, a, a prison camp. <laughs> and it's a great place. Yeah. It's a great place. Good for Lefty. Uh well, uh, well, Jim, uh, you know, uh, we're sort of uh, winding down the podcast here. You have have any any closing thoughts? I know for you have uh, all those shows that that uh, were being recorded back from the uh, the original run of of the of your of your radio show. Those are all archived on thehound.net now, correct? Well, not all of them, but there's a bunch of them, and then we also run them when we're not running this week's show. We just kind of randomly run old shows from the FMU years at the Hound NYC on the main page. Nice. And, and uh, the Hound NYC, uh, com. that's you have a, a live show every Sunday from 3 to 5 Eastern time. Is that correct? Yeah, it, it's just pretty much like me just blasting the records that I like. The old show, you know, the the funny parts were really Bruce, uh, Bruce Bennett. He was the kind of the genius of that show. Okay, well, those are those are gold, and I'm so glad that those got preserved, and uh, you know, they're they're still available. That's uh, something the troubled nation should avail themselves of, and we'll we'll put the uh, the the links to that in the in the show notes of this one. And uh, well, geez, uh, I'm so glad we finally got to do this, Jim. You're a font of knowledge, and we just just touched on the tip of the iceberg here. Well, I want to tell you something before we sign off, Hound, is that you're definitely a part two kind of guy because we always have these guests that are, you know, part two. You know, we don't get enough. In, you know, we want we want to talk more. We just don't have enough time. And don't you agree, Renee? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I got so yeah. many notes. We, we I didn't even touch on. I got yeah. names. I want to want to want to bounce off Jim. And you know, I just want to say this to you, Jim. You know, I told you I lost half my record collection to a, a basement flood in Los Angeles. Yeah. It's not true. I, I sold half of them for heroin. Okay. Oh, well, right. there you go. Yeah, who hasn't done that? <laughs> not half. Alright, good night. <laughs> Alright, well, Jim, uh, as always in the... In the Troubled Men podcast, we like to say, trouble never ends. Uh, Struggleton continues, as always. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> when the cool summer breeze sends a chill down my spine, and I long for my love's sweet
Shall I still love you? When? When? Ah! 